Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is The Art of Awesome, show number 159. And I know that over time, the trend line of the value of property just continues to go up. So if I can average, over time, if I can get the average deal, which is personally what I think the best thing to do is, um, I, I think that is the right approach is to not try and time the market. It's nearly impossible. Know what a good deal is and don't just buy just anything. That, that would be reckless. But you know, follow a process, learn what a good deal is and buy a good deal and regardless of market conditions and hold on for as long as you can. <laughs> I know it sounds really simple, but that, that's really what I do. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay now, from the beginning. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. And today, we get to sit down and talk with someone that I consider to be a truly awesome, Dave Meyer from Bigger Pockets and On the Market podcast. We dive deep into the real estate market and what he sees as the VP of data and analytics with Bigger Pockets. What he sees going on in the real estate market. Are we in a bubble? Is there a crash on the horizon? Should new investors or first time home buyers be buying right now? All sorts of great questions answered on this show. And yeah, we just dive into a lot into the real estate market and how red hot it is, how inflation, interest rates, all of this is kind of intersecting within the real estate market. Um, but just a ton of fun. And Dave kind of shares his story, getting into investing from being a ski bum out in Colorado and buying his first rental with a couple friends, as well as what he thinks uh, might be great advice for first timers getting into the market right now. So no matter where you guys are in your investing journey, if you're a first-time home buyer, if you are a long-term investor, there is tons of value and knowledge that Dave Meyer shares here. So hopefully you guys enjoy this as much as I did. Um, I, I love the data and analytics, the macro economics uh, that kind of all intertwine within trying to see what's going on in the market. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Here is Dave Meyer. Well, first off, uh, David Meyer, welcome to the Art of Awesome podcast. I'm stoked to have you here on the show. Nick, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So I've been listening to you for a fair amount now on the Bigger Pockets show. For my listeners out there, if you guys haven't been following Bigger Pockets, it's a pretty phenomenal real estate show. And you've got your latest and new podcast called On the Market, which we're going to dive into in just a little bit. Um, though I kind of want to start off with hearing a little bit of your story of how you got into the real estate market, investing, and how you got into the 
title of the VP of Data and Analytics with Bigger Pockets and what that role even is. Um, but yeah, kind of tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. So um, I grew up in New York and uh, went to college in upstate New York. And right after that, uh, wanted to get out of there. The weather is just no good if you've ever spent a lot of time in Rochester. But uh, I, I love to ski and to hike. And so I moved to Colorado um, and love it there. Um, I, I now live in Europe, but lived there for about 10 years. It's an amazing place. Um, and was just, I, I graduated in 2009. And so was having a really hard time finding a job, was waiting tables. And a friend of mine, just, you know, when you're working in the service industry, you got a lot of, uh, midweek days to go skiing. So what are the perks? And uh, so I did that. And one of my friends was just telling me how he bought a rental property with his girlfriend and they were making all this money. And it's like, damn, I don't have any money, but that sounds pretty good. Uh, And so I started to look into it a little bit and found some partners who could help me, um, three partners. And then I'm very lucky. I was able to borrow my one fourth of the down payment from a family member, um, you know, with interest and everything, but, you know, very fortunate to be able to get started that way. Um, and I just loved it. I was such an idiot. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a horrible landlord. Um, luckily, I had very nice tenants who all like were very patient with me. But I, you know, over the next couple of years, I did just one or two investments and saw the lifestyle that it can enable where you can build passive income and do um, things that you love, um, whether that's skiing or hiking. For me, it turns out I like data and software. I know that's a very weird thing to like, but I do. Um, You know, after a few years, I started, um, you know, I did get into the software industry, really liked working with data and analytics, found that I had sort of a knack for that sort of data analysis, strategy, research, and um, eventually I was like, I just really like data and I really like real estate. So I'm going to, I'm going to Google real estate data jobs. And it turns out that bigger pockets, which if you're not familiar is, uh, now the biggest real estate investor community in the world, we have about 2.5 million members, um, was like a mile from my house. And they were hiring for a job that, uh, not right away. I sort of followed them for like six or nine months or something. And eventually there was a job that fit my skill set and applied and thankfully got it. And so that's how I became, uh, you know, I wasn't immediately the VP of data analytics, but I've been there for over six years now and I've uh, worked my way into this position. That's awesome. (laughs) There's a lot in there that I want to dive into, but my first question is, being someone who loves data as much as you do, were you like the guy that's looking at all the specs on the skis, like to the detail of like, oh, <laughs> just a hundred percent. I don't <laughs> even know what half the words mean. I was like, oh yeah, 108 camber to 108 underfoot. Like I, I, I know what it means now, but at first I just like was comparing them and I was like, well, this one's a little bit bigger. I don't even know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> I don't know if it's good or bad, but it is, it is bigger. So that's gotta be something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if you're this way, but I like, for me, it's easier to buy like a house or real estate properties than it is to like pick gear. I just can't do it. It's partially because I don't know enough about it. I'm an amateur at best. But um, yeah, I, I definitely obsess about all the details that don't even make any sense to me. 
That's awesome. And I, I, I definitely want to dive into the housing market and the data that you've been looking at. Um, but that first deal that you did with, with three other friends, um, like for someone that's wanting to get into it, would you encourage partnerships? Like, is that something that you had a good experience with or kind of what, what was your thought on doing partnerships on something as big as real estate with a couple of friends? I love that question because I think it's one of the best ways to get into real estate is partnerships, whether it's friends or if you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to have friends or family who can help support you, I think it's an excellent idea. And just so people know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a partner is someone who contributes money. It could be someone who maybe is really handy or can contribute time or effort. The structure of the deal I did was I was basically a sweat equity partner. I did borrow some money to put down my portion of the down payment, but the way I earned my return was being a property manager for free. So just for example, because I didn't have the other amount of capital other people did, I contributed in other ways. So I do think it's a great way to do it in, in almost any type of market. I will say that one thing we did and I would encourage everyone strongly to do is draft up a formal partnership agreement. That's, I can't say enough how important it is. And people think, oh, we're friends and family. I think it's more important with friends and family because it's not worth losing a friend or family over an investment, even if it is a lot of money. Um, And having an operating agreement just answers all the questions for you ahead of time. So just for instance, about five or six years after that deal, two of the partners wanted to sell. And like that could have been an issue because I didn't want to, the other partner didn't want to. And that could have been a big deal that we could have argued about it. But in our operating agreement that we had established six years earlier, we said, here's exactly what we're going to do. Each of us are going to get an appraisal. We will average the two appraisals together. We will buy you out for the price of the two average of the two appraisals and we'll go our separate ways. And it worked out really well. Everyone's still friends. You know, um, there was no contention at all because it was already established ahead of time. So I understand why people are nervous about it. Um, And I also understand that people want the whole deal for themselves. But I think it's a very um, easy entry point into what can be a daunting and intimidating endeavor. And therefore, I, I think it makes a lot of sense as long as you protect yourself. That makes perfect sense, and um, I I love the the idea of drafting that agreement as well because you're I I couldn't agree more that you know it's uh, it's not worth losing friends or family over you know some sort of any sort of deal but uh, some sort of monetary value. So to kind of have that all drafted uh, at the beginning is incredible advice for sure. Um, so diving straight into the data, then. Um, we have we kind of have a crazy housing market right now. Um, we've got inflation on the rise. The housing market has been white hot for the past couple of years, it seems. Uh, we've got raising interest rates that are going up quickly. How does all of this kind of mix together? And what is the data that you've been looking at? Um, what are the trends seeing? And where do you think this housing market is going in the next couple months or maybe even the next year or so? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is something I study pretty carefully and look at pretty much every day uh, in my job at Bigger Pockets. I do the data internally, but I also spend most of my time 
evaluating the housing market, different investing strategies. And from my seat, it does seem like we are at the point or very close to the point where the market is going to start to cool. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean prices are going to go negative. It doesn't mean we're going to stop seeing growth in housing prices. But I, I just have this feeling both anecdotally and from the data I look at that we're hitting the peak of the craziness. I could totally be wrong, but I can explain to you why. Um, and you're, you already mentioned it. The main reason is because interest rates are rising. And for those of you who don't follow this as closely as I do, interest rates on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, the most popular mortgage, was about 3% at the beginning of the year, 3.1%. Now it's about 5%. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but on an average priced home in the US, that actually comes out to over $300 a month or about four grand a year. So that's a significant amount of money um, for almost any family. And so that ultimately just prices people out of the market. The National Association of Realtors estimates that that raise, that increase in interest rates will price 15 million American families out of the housing market. That's about 10% of families in the US. So that is a a really considerable decrease in demand. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about, um, which we'll get into uh, like, but like, institutional buyers, investor demand, all this other stuff. But 80% of all homes are bought by home buyers, not by investors. And so when you think about this declining affordability and the subsequent declining demand, it to me, it has to cool the housing market at some point, even though there are some really strong forces that are going to keep the housing market stronger than I think people think it will, but I don't think we're going to have these like 20% year over year appreciation things anytime soon again. Yeah. It seems like that the 20% year, year over year is like unsustainable. Um, I mean, if, or Warren Buffett and everybody would just be like, sweet, well, I'm just going to only invest in the housing market. If I get, you know, a guaranteed 20% year over year. One thing though, because there's a lot of stuff, and, I, and I'm very curious on your interpretation of this and, and kind of what the data that you study says about this. Something that I've been thinking about when I've been, you know, um, when I've been like looking at doing investments and, and just kind of analyzing the market a little bit on my own, which is at a much smaller level than, than the amount that you study, I'm sure. Um, but I've been kind of thinking, even though interest rates are going up and even though prices are at, you know, all time highs, um, I kind of feel like we just went through a period where so many people in America refinanced at a low rate that I'm curious, you know, whether or not we're just going to have people not put their houses up for sale or, or not move or not do anything because they're like, well, I'm already locked in at a, you know, 3% loan or something like that for 30 years. I'm not, if I sold my house and bought the exact same house at the exact same price, not including inflation and how the prices have been going up, but it's going to be like what you said, $300 more a month. I'm just not going to sell and I'm just going to stay here for now. So even though we have super high prices and even though we have high uh, interest rates coming and, and inflation and all this stuff, I just feel like people are more likely to not sell. And then how that interacts with the supply versus demand, as long as we still have that demand and the supply stays super low, doesn't that continue to push prices higher or at least kind of keep them elevated? 
That's an excellent question. And I tend to agree. Yeah. I, I think that when we look at demand, it is going to fall. That is, that is like almost, I, I feel pretty confident about that. But you're, you can't determine what's going to happen with prices without, as you said, looking at the supply side. So demand probably going down. Supply, on the other hand, is at all-time lows. And that's not an exaggeration. In March, it was the least amount of homes we have had on the market uh, in the way we measure inventory is like how many houses for sale in the last day of the month. So last day of March, lowest it's ever been. And when you just think about simple supply and demand, you're right. It's going to keep prices higher, in my opinion. So I, I personally believe that for the next few months, we'll likely see houses, uh, housing prices maybe even continue to go up, but not at 15%. You know, we'll probably head back towards a more normal housing price market, which is 2 to 4% appreciation per year. I think we probably get to somewhere in the two to 6% by the end of this year, but it's going to be gradual. I think a lot of people assume just looking at interest rates that the prices are going to fall off a cliff. And I don't see that happening personally because of exactly what you just said. People are selling their houses. It's not like no one is selling their houses, but demand is so strong that there's just wait, there's multiple buyers for every house that hits the market. So even if demand goes down 20 or 30%, it's still going to be a seller's market. It's still going to be imbalanced. It's just going to be less imbalanced than it was. And again, there's there's so many things you can't tell. That's how I kind of see the rest of this year going. If interest rates keep going up and up and up for years, like that's probably different. Maybe we will see prices flatten out or even go negative. But um, and, and just I should mention that flattening or negative prices for a short period of time should be expected sometime in the next few years. But I don't see this like crash scenario that I think a lot of people are expecting. And I know that's confusing because things have just gone up so quickly, but the fundamentals of the market do suggest that unless there's a huge glut of supply, everyone tries to sell their home, it's probably not going to go down. And I think what you said is exactly right. I'm trying to get this data point, but I've heard estimates that about 70% of homeowners now have a mortgage rate under four. And we've all gotten used to under four, but for the record, before 2009, there was never a time in US history when mortgage rates were below five. So like, this is like a very unprecedented time. And I think you're exactly right. Like who wants to sell their house into an ultra hot market where interest rates are much higher than what you used to have? Like, it's not very attractive to people. So I totally agree. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how you you explain it where it's like, it almost seems like we're at the peak, but but the peak doesn't mean that there's like a downfall on the other side. Because I think, um, you know, people are afraid of like the 2008, 2007 scenario where we have this huge housing market crash. And, and I almost feel like even when people hear like, um, you know, possible recession on in the horizon, anything like that, I, I think people automatically think, oh, 2008 housing market is about to happen. Like I should hold on to my money, whatever. What, what would you personally, or I, I guess a better way to, to phrase this is what are you personally doing right now with the current market status? And, and can, even though we're at these high prices and what you kind of see happening in the future. And then on a side note, what would you advise maybe a first time either home buyer or first time investor, what kind of advice would you have for them right now with, with the market currently and, and where you kind of see it going in the coming years? 
Sure. So I, I, I agree with your assessment that when people think about a recession or a housing market correction, they associate it with what happened in 2007. And just for context, that was the big one in the terms of the housing market. There, in, in, in the data I have seen, there is not another time in US history when housing prices went down that severely for that long. And it's not even really close. Like that was way worse than anything else. And that was due to subprime lending, as we all know, people were, banks were giving out mortgages to, to people who couldn't easily repay them. And there was a lot of speculative building. Um, it, was a, it was a sort of a perfect storm for uh, a housing collapse. Right now, it's very different. And, and I do, again, I want to be honest that in normal economic cycles, like asset prices go down. There's probably going to be a time when housing prices go down in the, in the next couple of years. I just don't know when, and no one does. You know, it's really hard to say exactly when that will happen. And I also don't think it will be nearly as severe as the last one. Um, and we can get into that, but just in short, it's basically that last time we had this huge unemployment problem with a, a, a huge drop in equity, which led to a foreclosure crisis. People had no equity in their house because they were putting 0% down. So when prices went down, they were immediately underwater. That is not what's happening here. People here have tons of equity in their house. Anyone who bought a home 10 in the last five years, first of all, they probably put 10 or 20% down. So they have equity there. And housing prices have gone up 50, 60, in some markets, 100% in that time. So we're not going to have the situation where people can't sell their homes if they can't make payments. That, that just is very, very unlikely to happen. And so to me, the, given all of this, given there is a lot of economic uncertainty, that is definitely true. And because I am a long-term real estate investor, my plan is to continue to buy. And I know that maybe I'll buy high, maybe it will keep going. I, I really don't know. But my plan as an investor is similar to what people advice that is given out in the stock market, which is, have you heard of the term dollar cost averaging before? Yep. Yeah. So it's basically like that. And for those of you who, who might be curious, dollar cost averaging is basically continuing to buy at a regular interval, regardless of market condition. So I plan to buy one house a year, let's say. And sometimes I'm going to get a great deal. You know, I bought my first house in 2010. What a time to buy. That was great. I don't expect that deal every time. I'm going to buy here in 2022. Maybe it's an average deal. Maybe it's slightly below average, maybe slightly above average. I don't know. But my goal is to invest for 30 years. And I know that over time, the trend line of the value of property just continues to go up. So if I can average over time, if I can get the average deal, which is personally what I think the best thing to do is, um, I, I think that is the right approach is to not try and time the market. It's nearly impossible. Know what a good deal is and don't just buy just anything. That, that would be reckless, but you know, follow a process, learn what a good deal is. And buy a good deal and regardless of market conditions and hold on for as long as you can. <laughs> I know it sounds overly simple, but that, that's really what I do. Um, and I think that's the advice I would give to people is, is learn how to evaluate a, a real estate deal. We, we teach that a lot on Bigger Pockets for free. Um, and you know, learn when the numbers work. And if the numbers work, don't worry too much about where we are in our market cycle because no one knows. And instead, just trust that you are buying a deal. And if you know that you're going to hold on to that deal for over five years, like you're going to come out ahead. Um, and so that that's sort of how I think about it. I love that idea of 
essentially dollar cost averaging into the real estate market. And I think actually on your show, um, you were talking about the the graph from Fred. Uh, what is it? The what does Fred stand for again? It's it's like uh, the Federal Reserve economic data. It, the state, the Bank of uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis has a great website with all sorts of uh, economic and government data. Right, but and so there's that graph of like U.S. housing market prices, and it essentially is like almost. As far as graphs go, it's almost a straight line up and to the right. And it essentially just goes to show, for the most part, how stable the housing market is. And and it does show that, you know, the, the dip during the housing market crash. Um, but it really just, for the most part, probably the safest asset I think you could get. I mean, maybe I'm going to, you know, eat my words later in life. But uh, I'm sure people said the same thing during the housing market crash of 2008. But I do agree that the biggest things that were going wrong then, for the most part, it seems like they fixed it. And the biggest thing seemed to me like just poor lending practices that banks no longer do um, because of that. And so I feel like if you fix the lending practices, you fix, uh, you know, they're not just going to make loans for, I think they had, what what did they call them? The ninja loans, like no income, no asset. Anyway, whatever it was, like they were essentially just giving money to anybody um, and they're not doing that anymore. So that mixed with the fact that if we were to look historically, who knows again, how the how the Fed and the government is going to try to fix the inflation problem that we have currently going on in the country. But historically, in the last decade and a half, it seems like if we have real a real issue, you know, throughout the country with jobs or something like that, that they're probably going to fix that by printing more money and either giving handouts or just doing or lowering interest rates or doing something to try to like help the economy kind of stay going up and to the right. And the combination of those, I, I just, I think it's pretty bullish for real estate for sure. I don't think we're going to see a, a 2008 crash again. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think it is, people use the word crash to describe any kind of decline in prices. And I think that is incorrect and a little irresponsible, frankly, because the reality is that if housing prices go down for 3%, 4% for a year, that's not a crash. That is a normal economic cycle. That is something that should happen. Asset prices cannot continuously go up. And frankly, I don't think that's going to be in 2022. It could be, but like, I think we're at least, you know, we're, we're a little while out from that. And the housing market could go up 10% before that happens. You know, it's like, it, we just don't know. And that's why I like the idea of, of dollar cost averaging is because it takes the pressure off of you to really just like try and understand something that no one understands. And listen, I, I, I study this stuff all day and I have ideas of what I think are going to happen. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, people like me are wrong all the time, you know, yes. like that's just the reality of it. And like, I, I try and understand these things because I like to understand long-term trends. And like, I, I don't focus on what's going to happen in the next two or three years, but I, I help explain it. Cause I think it helps comfort people. But I think ultimately why for my own investing, I really care about this stuff is I want to know what's going to happen 10 years from now and 15 years from now. And to me, the likelihood that the housing market is going to have strong growth over 10 or 15 years is very, very high. 
And those are much longer, much more stable, predictable trends. Um, so that that's to me why I, I continue to buy, why I continue to dollar cost average is because I don't, I, I care, but I don't really care if my properties go down in value on paper in the next three years, because I'm not going to sell them at the bottom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to them and wait till they go back up and then sell them. So it's only like a paper loss. Um, so I think that's important for people to understand. But I know if you're new and you're just trying to get into this for the first time, that can be super intimidating. And so I think there's two pieces of advice I give to people. One is house hacking, if you've ever heard that term, is a really, really safe and great way to get into real estate. I did this. And it basically means you, there's two ways to do it. You basically owner occupy your property. So you can either buy a duplex, a triplex or a quadplex, live in one unit and rent out the others, or you can buy a house, live in one bedroom and rent out the other to friends or roommates or whatever. And the reason this is so beneficial is because one, even if the property doesn't cash flow, just reducing your own housing costs is the ascent, is the equivalent of making more money, right? Like if you yep. save 500 bucks on rent or you make $500 more from your job, those are the same thing at the end of the day. So, so that's really good. And the second thing is owner occupants. When you live in a house, you get a lower interest rate than investors. And so even though rates are high, like for an investor, it's probably 5.756% right now for a uh, owner occupant, it's about 5%. So you actually are probably able to you have better economics than an investor. And so you can buy properties that might not make sense for them, but could make sense for you. Um, and you can learn all about that. I won't get into the details of that, but I think that's a really good option. The second option is not available to everyone, but if you have extra cash, you can put more than 20% down. And I think that's a good way to invest defensively if you want to, because you'll generate more cash flow. And if something bad happens and there is a crash, um, you will likely still not be underwater. You won't have to short sale. You'll still have equity in your property. Um, and so if there are people who are nervous about that, um, that's another way you can behave a little bit more conservatively in the cyber market. No, that's perfect. And great advice for, for, you know, people that are first getting into it, but also like the people that are nervous and, and want to play a little bit more defense for sure. Tell us a little bit more about your new show uh, on the market and kind of what people can learn on there, what the show is about and how it kind of helps uh, people maybe like myself or others that are interested in real estate uh, just kind of get the data that helps them make wise decisions and, and choices. And yeah. Sure. So uh, Bigger Pockets is a big education, media, software company. And We've always been really good at uh, narrative and success stories and teaching you the tactical things. Like, how do I invest in real estate? What do I have to do every single day? On the Market is our new show. And what we're trying to get into is the strategy of real estate investing. And that's all about, you know, what markets should you be investing in? In what market conditions? How should you adapt your strategy based on this very unique economic climate we're in? So we talk all about macroeconomics and help people formulate their own personalized strategy that feels good to them based on their own risk tolerance, their own goals, that sort of thing. And we also, one of the cool things I'm, I'm really excited about is we're going to be going and talking about a lot of 
big trends and opportunities. Like I'm a big fan uh, about of uh, modular homes, you know, mass produced uh, high quality homes that are sustainable, that are environmentally friendly, that are easy to deploy in all sorts of types of places. Let's learn about that. You know, we're going to bring in experts who, who talk about these opportunities for investors, for home buyers, um, and, and basically just try and stay on the cutting edge of, of real estate uh, and other types of investments so that um, all of our listeners can, you know, make strong, informed uh, investments for themselves. Love that. I'm very excited about the show. And yeah, I wish you the absolute best and stoked to hear that. You guys are putting this together, being that uh, I like studying the the macro uh, economics and also just trying to, like what you guys said, stay on that cutting edge of of what's happening and how that might affect uh, that the housing markets, the real estate, and everything. Um, what's next? What's next for you? You talk about dollar cost averaging into the housing market. You've got this new show. Uh, is there anything else that you're kind of throwing into the pot on the horizon? And, and kind of what does your next uh, couple of years look like? Yeah, uh, I'm writing a book. I'm almost done with it. So that will be coming out for Bigger Pockets. Uh, it's going to be called, I'm not even supposed to, I don't know if I'm supposed <laughs> to say what it's called. It's a book about real estate investing and the finance behind it. Uh, again, Bigger Pockets, great at teaching you the logistics. If you want to learn like the numbers of how to analyze deals, how to find the best loan for you, that kind of stuff, um, this book is for you. Um, and just so you know, like in the book and in the podcast, like we really try and make this fun. I know what, what I talk about can be really dense, but we play games. There's a lot of like lighthearted banter, both in the book uh, and uh, and the podcast, because that's what I aim to do. You know, you asked what I plan to do for the next couple of years. I, I really like teaching people about a subject that people like physically recoil when you sometimes say like, oh, I'm into data or finance or like, oh, what the hell is that? I'm not a math person. <laughs> you don't have to be a math person. You know, it's really not that complicated. Um, I, I got C's and D's in math in high school. <laughs> so, so like, it's not like you have to be a great mathematician here. Uh, but there are some things that you can learn that can really help you in your investing career and your personal finances. Um, that everyone honestly should know. And so my goal, whether it's the book or the podcast or some other stuff we're working on at Bigger Pockets, is really just helping, you know, everyday regular people understand these concepts that they can understand and they should understand um, and make it fun, not make it intimidating. I love that, Dave. That is incredible. And I wish you the absolute best with it. Uh, I will pick up your book as soon as it's available. And, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll send you one. You you had me on, so you'll you'll get the gratis one book. That way, I know at least one person read it. <laughs> I I have a strong feeling like more than one pe person will read it. Uh, Dave, I'm going to move us on to the next segment of the show called the fire round and fire a couple quick questions off at you. Though before we continue with the show, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressures to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. 
Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique, and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work towards your goals at the pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noon Weight users finish the program and more than 60% of users that engage with the program keep the weight off for a year or more. So start building habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. Again, that's noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. Now, let's get back to our fire round. First question I have for you is, do you have a favorite quote or a current quote that you live by? Oh, wow. I should have prepared one. Um there's actually a, a quote by Helen Keller I love. It's, uh, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. And I've always really liked that. I like personally try to make bold and brave decisions on a regular basis, whether it's in my personal or financial life. Um, so I can go with that one. I love that. Other than your own book that you are writing right now, do you have a favorite book or current book that you might be reading? Um, I just read a book called Contagious that I'm super, I really liked. I wish I'm looking at my bookshelf and it's on my nightstand because I just finished it. And I can't remember who wrote it. Jonah Berger, maybe. Um, okay. And it's all about like what makes things go viral. And, you know, I'm n- normally the guy behind a computer data guy, but like now I'm on a podcast and writing books and I want to understand how to promote these things. And if you're interested in, it's just fascinating about human psychology in general, like what gets people excited, what gets people talking. Um, so that one uh, is top of mind right now. Awesome. I will definitely have to check that out. That sounds super cool. Um, Dave, what might be a lesson that you've learned? And this could be through, uh, writing your book, through your new podcast, through investing in real estate, but what's a recent lesson that you've learned and it could be through a mistake or success? Oh man, I would say, uh, try, don't take on too many things. (laughs) I, I don't know the right way to say that concisely. Uh, I know Brandon Turner and David Green talk a lot about this on our other Bigger Pockets show about not trying to build too many bridges is the analogy they use. Um, and I think that's that's been hard for me. I, I'm a person who loves opportunity. And part of my job is identifying opportunity. And I get super excited and I want to do everything. And that has backfired on me a lot um, in the last uh, couple of years and in my life. And I'm learning slowly to focus on the things I know I can be good at and the things that are truly important to me and not just seeing something that's shiny and chasing after it. So that's probably the most relevant lesson from the last couple of years. I like that. And and that's something that I struggle with myself. I call it the shiny object syndrome, where uh, I just get so distracted. I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this. And, uh, and I've definitely heard um, Brandon and, and David talk a lot about, you know, finishing the bridge all the way to, you know, success island before starting a new bridge. And so I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. And I'm, 
feel like I continually try to work on it, but uh, I definitely have a long ways to go to perfect that for sure. Totally. There's like, there's sorts of fun, cool things to do, you know, and there's so many interesting, exciting opportunities. And when you're young and you're first starting to get into it, like it is cool to test things out, but from a professional standpoint, um, you know, I think it's, it's definitely good to recognize what you're good at and what you love doing and just be okay with the fact that there are other cool opportunities that just aren't right for you. That makes perfect sense. Dave, one of my favorite questions um, is if today was your last day on earth and everything that you've done up to now, your podcast, your new book, uh, everything was to go away with you and all that you were left with was a piece of paper and a pen and you could write down three truths. Uh, You could leave this for your friends, for family members, um, leave it in the data for future generations to consume. What might your three truths be? Wow, that is a deep question, Nick. I like this. I need to think about this for one second. I'd say the first one is that you can't have a good relationship with anyone else until you have a good relationship with yourself. I think that that has also been a a lesson I've learned a lot about being comfortable with who you are and um, that will improve all the rest of your relationships in your life. Uh, I would say, again, I, I like the idea of just, uh, finding your own adventure, uh, you know, doing something that's bold and not always comfortable and something that has meaning to you in the world, um, and somehow trying to make the world better if in whatever way that, and then whatever that means to you. Oh man, that's two. And three, I guess would be try to have fun. You know, I think those things are are things I try and do all the time. Have fun, have good relationships with myself and with others and do something meaningful and and beneficial to the world. I love that. That is some phenomenal advice right there. Dave, you have shared so many words of wisdom and knowledge bombs, as I like to say it a little bit, and I've gotten so much value out of this. Uh, Something that I try to do as much as I can with all the guests that I get to bring on the show is try to give back as much as I can. So is there anything that you are currently focusing on right now that I might be able to help you out with or possibly even my listeners? No, Nick, you're helping me with what I'm thinking about a lot right now, which is how to how to promote our podcast. I think it really is going to have a benefit for our listeners. It's fun. uh, It's engaging and it will really give you some practical advice for your life. Um, So I appreciate you uh, very much in in having me on. And likewise, if there's anything I can do for you, please, please let me know. Awesome. Well, uh, I gain a ton of insight from listening to your data and analytics. Uh, So thank you for doing that and helping me at least feel like I'm making wise investment decisions. Um, For anybody out there that wants to follow along, wants to continue and hear more of your story, your um, perception on the market, and maybe what the data and analytics are telling, uh, what might be the best way for someone to connect with you? Sure. So uh, the podcast on the market is definitely a good way. Or uh, on Instagram, I'm pretty active. My handle is at the data deli. 
uh, I love sandwiches. I have a slight obsession with them. So I named my Instagram account after that. But yeah, the Data Deli. Okay, there you have it, guys. Go check out Dave Meyer at the Data Deli. Follow him on his podcast, On The Market. You guys are going to get a ton of great insight. I listen to it regularly. Um, Just out of curiosity, what is your favorite sandwich? You know, people ask me this question all the time, and I think I got to go with like a classic Italian. Like that's what I always go back to is like, you know, a couple Italian meats, a little bit of like arugula, roasted red pepper, some sort of oil on there. I love that. But recently I've been eating, um, I've been eating a lot of like fried chicken sandwiches because they just (laughs) opened a place near my house and they are so damn good. They're horrible for you, but I love them. That's awesome. That's super cool. Final, (laughs) Final question of the day for you is what is your definition of awesome? Uh, oh man, my definition of awesome would be that feeling of flow when you're doing something you really enjoy, whether that's like being with friends in a good and great conversation or really engaged in something you're working. Um, if you're familiar with the concept of flow, um, I, I love that and seek it out as much as I can. And to me, that's like the greatest feeling on earth. That is truly awesome. And I am definitely very uh, aware of the feeling of flow. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Literally, very literally, you're aware of the feeling of flow. <laughs> both, both literally and kind of getting into, uh, into that moment. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely love finding that flow for sure. Again, Dave Meyer, thank you so very much for joining us here on the show. I love your insight. I love your uh, your new podcast and excited to check out the book when it comes out. For anybody else that wants to follow along, go check out On The Market Podcast. Go follow Dave Meyer at The Data Deli on Instagram. And uh, for anybody out there, if you guys haven't already, just dive deep and in, into the world of real estate because I, I do think that again I could eat my words later but I really have a strong feeling that it's a it's a great asset class and investment to get into and just go look up that uh, the graph on Fred and and check out what US housing prices have done over the last you know eternity of the US market so uh, it'll make you feel a little bit better about about your decisions but check out real estate uh, again if you guys got any value out of this please if you could share this out with one person that you think might need to hear this show as that's our best way to build uh, our community and collective as a whole. And if you guys also could leave us a rating and review wherever you guys are listening to podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you again to Mr. Dave Meyer, the Data Deli. I am Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all truly an awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.